Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. I ask you to stand with me as we look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Verses 11 through 22, I'll read the word of the Lord to us. Uh, The famous last words of a preacher is this message is going to be brief, uh, uh, but that is my intention this morning, that we'll look through the word of the Lord, a brief message, and then we'll gather back in Crozet tonight at 6 p.m. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you... The Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Amen. In whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage in the book of Ephesians. We thank you, God, uh, for Paul's writing uh, to the Ephesians church and also to us. We thank you, Lord, for this dear brother who went through difficulty and challenges of life and even down to his very dying day was concerned about the gospel and the ministry of the gospel among the churches and the faithfulness of the churches and the faithfulness of the next generation of ministers. God, we thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul who's given to us such a treasure because he saw you on that Damascus road. He who had persecuted the church, had put people in prison, whether by his own hand or by the hand of others, had seen others put to death, standing by at the martyrdom of Stephen, heading on the Damascus Road to continue to persecute your church and your spirit arrested him, transformed him changed him into a great theologian of the church who even today, some 2,000 years later, 
We're grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit through this brother to speak to us how to be faithful. God, if you would do that, that work of ministry, and someone who persecuted your people, killed your people, who reviled your people, you would do that transformative work in him and raise him to the level of apostleship to where our faith stands upon the foundation which he has helped to lay. Even our salvation, his message to the Gentiles, most of us here are Gentiles, we're recipients of that grace through this brother. God, we thank you. And we know, Lord, if you have done such a work in him, you're also willing to do a work in us. That there is no one who is so far away that you can't bring them near. You can't change them, that you can't use them for your kingdom, O oh God. And so we, we pray today, Lord Jesus, that once again, O oh God, in this day, God, that as some of these young men and young women, Lord, who are in this congregation today, as they're standing, Lord God, that you would raise up again some Apostle Pauls, some people who are willing to put it all on the line in order to go and share the gospel. In order to preach, in order to be faithful, God, we pray, Lord Jesus, raise them up even in this local assembly. Let it be so, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. A reminder this morning of what we shared in times past that Ephesians is mainly a letter that was written to uh, Gentile believers. Again, people like uh, you and uh, me, most of us, some of, some of you may have Jewish uh, heritage. Uh, I don't know of anyone who was uh, here who was raised as an, an Orthodox Jew, raised in the law and in the precepts uh, of the law. So most of us are Gentiles or Gentiles by uh, culture. That's what this letter was written to in the Ephesian church, mainly those who were uh, Gentile uh, believers, and it was to encourage them to be faithful in love and in unity. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking about here, that the Jews who had the law, who were recipients of the law, who prided themselves in being recipients uh, of God's law and living it out very faithfully. Uh, some of them were part of the church. And we also had the Gentiles who really knew nothing about the law and didn't care a whole lot about the law itself, but they were coming to the faith. And uh, Paul later tells us in some of his other writings that they were doing naturally, you know, living out the moral law of God, what the Jews had been taught, the Gentiles were also doing because the Spirit of God was moving upon both. And he's saying, hey, you need to live together in unity and in one accord. And that's God's design and his desire for you and I in his church and in his kingdom. It's for us to live together in unity, in grace, and in one accord with one another. If you look around the room and you have a problem with someone in the room, you need to get that fixed. You need to get it out of your heart because that's not the biblical way to live. If you are 
uh, looking and you're thinking about someone who says they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're living it out, they're walking faithfully before Jesus. You have to strive to live in unity. The Apostle Paul later says, as much as it depends on you, strive to live in unity with all men. And so that is the goal and desire that you and I should have as believers is not to be nitpickers, not to pick out fault with everybody, but try to walk faithfully before the Lord, living faithfully before Jesus, knowing that God will deal with them, that I don't have to be the one that kind of goes and speaks to everybody about everything they're doing wrong. Oftentimes, if I go to my knees and I pray about things, God will begin a transforming work in that person. And what also happens is God begins a transforming work in me. So sometimes... Yes, I believe in discipleship. Yes, I believe that sometimes we have to pull people aside in a nature of love and kindness and share with them the Scriptures and look to the Scriptures, particularly those who are new believers in the faith. But I also believe that times it's for those of us who have walked long-term in the faith and we kind of want to look, well, why are they doing that? Or why are they doing that? Or why is this? Why is that? Why don't they do this? Why don't they act this way? Sometimes just getting down and praying for a personal revival transforms things. What Paul wanted for the Ephesian church was to them, for them to be together in unity. What he was trying to encourage in chapter 2, the Gentile believers, was to remember where they were before and how that grace of God had brought them into God's family. He says in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which was performed in the flesh by human hands. Therefore, remember, verse 12 again, the second time, remember that you are at the same time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul says to remember that you were formerly separated and excluded. Many of you may know the name of the missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. In 1852, he was uh, born to parents who had prayed that their son would be a missionary to China. I thought about that. Uh, before he was born, his parents were praying. God, let this son who's coming into our life, let this child who's coming be a missionary. And we specifically want him to be a missionary to China. They were praying that God would move in such a way that their child would be a missionary around the world. And that happened. Hudson Taylor sailed to China. Most of the Protestant missions at that time were outposts on uh, on the the ocean shore around they were kind of around the edges of China most of that time the way Protestant missions took place is not how we think of missions today there would be outposts where uh, in the 1850s those who were in their Victorian clothing would go to a uh, another culture another uh, country and they were dressed as they would have been dressed in uh, Victorian England or America, and they would do a work in outposts, and they would bring people from the culture into the outpost, try to convert them and disciple them and send them back out. So all the missionaries lived together in these outposts along the edges of the coast, 
in order to help evangelize. And what Hudson Taylor saw when he got there was that there wasn't much mingling among the people. And so he wanted to go inland. And many of you may have heard of the China Inland Mission. And that's what he established was the China Inland Mission to go from the outside, the edges of the country into the country. And one of the things that Hudson Taylor did, many of the Chinese men at that time, they grew a pigtail off the back of their Head. I'm not sure if that's the proper term that we would use today in our uh, politically correct culture, but that's what they called it then. It was a pigtail off the back of their head. A lot of men grew that, so he grew one. He didn't dress in his Victorian clothing. He, he dressed like the Chinese men dressed. He tried to be out and among the people, to look like the people, to, to learn the language of the people. And he began learning their language. Instead of bringing them in and teaching them the language of the missionaries, he went out and he learned their language. And what he began to do is he began to translate the Bible. And all the other missionaries got upset with him. They didn't like that style of missions. It upset the apple cart, and so they began to exclude him. And push him off to the side. What you're doing is not right. And they began not to support the work that he was doing. And the people back home didn't want to support the work that he was doing. Because this was something that, that was not heard of before. Or not understood before. But he prayed. And you know one of the things that Hudson Terry impacted me. What he prayed about. He said we're not going to solicit for funds at all. If you're called to be a missionary to China, you're going to come to China, you're going to pray. When you need money, you pray. God will provide, you'll pray. And his life was a very difficult life, but God provided. By the end of his life, there were missionaries in all of China's provinces at the time. Today, China Inland Mission continues to be a force for good in the world. By the, it's by, it goes by the name of the Overseas Missionary Fellowship International. God continues to do a work through someone who saw something that nobody else saw back over 150 years ago. But he was excluded. He was excluded from what seemed mainstream, from what seemed to be the best and most functional way in order to witness. Have you ever been excluded? You ever felt like that you're on the outside looking in? You're seeing good things happen in other people, and you're being excluded from those type of blessings. That's what the Gentiles were feeling at times in Ephesians. God's chosen people, they felt like they had it kind of wrapped up. But the Gentiles on the other side, they felt excluded. And what Paul is saying, you once were excluded, but now you've been brought in. And don't forget that. You once were excluded, but now you have been brought in. You once were strangers to the covenants of promise, but now you have been brought in. We want you to remember what it was like to be separate from Christ with no hope without God in the world. Remember what it was like to be separate from Christ. The Bible speaks to us, the Apostle Paul speaks to us at times in other scriptures. He says, forgetting what's behind, push towards what is ahead. I thought about here, why do you say that, Paul, in other scriptures? But here in this scripture, you're saying, remember. Remember where you were. Remember the place where you once existed. And I thought, how do I, how do I make this point? And this is as close as I can come along to it. This is your past. Now, don't make fun of my artwork. 
This is your organic past. So your past. Now this is your, your bag of things in the past. Now what the enemy tries to do in your life, the Bible says there's some works of the flesh. The Bible says that there are works of the flesh. And so, you know, the Bible talks about strife and jealousy, sorcery and rivalries, enmity, fits of anger. Anybody got a one-year-old? Sensuality, divisions, impurity, envy, drunkenness, sexual immorality, idolatry, dissensions. You see, if we want to think about our past, there's all types of things that could be in our past, isn't it? And so what happens at times is you're trying to walk for the Lord up here, and the enemy is bringing your sin behind you. Saying, remember? Remember the sin? Remember who you were? Remember how, how difficult you were in the past? Remember how you used to go out and get drunk? Remember how you used to party? Remember how you used to be in the ways of the world? Remember how you were an immoral person? Remember, because God's not going to use you. You may think you're up here, but everybody knows you're a fake. Remember, the enemy says, remember. It's no secret to God that that was in your past. It's no secret to God that in order to make yourself feel better, sometimes you whispered about other people. I know I've done wrong, but that is, woo. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, you know, I know I've got my problems, but I'm glad it's not that bad. You're sowing dissension among the body. You realize that, right? You're, you're hurting the unity in the body when you say, I'm better. My sin's not as bad. God looks at me. He smiles at me more than... Jealousy. Do you realize that somebody... And this congregation might get a new car from time to time. Might have a nice house from time to time. And then we begin to wonder, why can't I have that? I should have that. I'm living for God better than they are. What's that? Jealousy. Jealousy over what someone else has. Instead of saying, I thank you, God, for what you've done for so-and-so. I thank you, God, for providing a new vehicle. I thank you, God, for providing a new car. I thank you, God, for helping them out with a new job that pays better. I thank you, God, the opposite of jealousy. See, we can have all types of things in our past, all types of things that are within our past life, all kinds of things that are 
within the past. And I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to say is when in other scriptures where he says, forget what lies behind, he's saying forget those specific things that draw your attention back to a place that it ought not go. But in this passage where he's talking about remember where you were from, what I think he's saying is it's a difference in remembering specific things and remember I used to be back there in a past away from God. I have a past, but praise God, it's not attached to me anymore. It doesn't control me anymore. It doesn't manage me anymore. It doesn't addict me anymore. There's a past back there, and I praise God, and I rejoice in His goodness that I'm set free from the past. Yes, it's back there, and there's some things that are back there I'm not even going to talk about anymore. Because God set me free, and I don't need to mention it anymore. I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? See, there's a difference between trying to go back and the enemy saying, Hey, this is you, and this is you, and this is you, and you. That's something different. God's delivered me. God's touched me. God has transformed me. And I don't have to go back there anymore. Remember from where you came. Verses 13 through 18. But now, remember where you were. Remember that you were away from Christ. Remember, but now Christ Jesus, who you were former, who formerly you were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both of these groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death enmity. What Paul is trying to communicate in this particular passage is that you must remember that you have a purpose and that purpose is to live in a spirit of unity with the people around you in this room who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to work at unity. You know, sometimes unity is kind of hard. Sometimes unity is kind of difficult because sometimes we want to avoid certain people. But that's not the grace of Jesus at work in us. The grace of Jesus at work in us should push us towards people who need love, who need care, who need kindness, who need grace. You've been transformed. God has broken down the wall of enmity. There is now unity in his church. You are of God's household, the word of the Lord says. You have been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone that God is building for himself, a holy temple into a dwelling of God, a dwelling for God in the Spirit. Wow. 
What a powerful mission you and I have. And I recall when I was a young boy, as my dad, as I mentioned many times with you, is a masonry contractor. I've seen him build many, many buildings. And you know what? I can remember that when they would dig the foundation, they would dig out the foundation, they would pour concrete in the foundation. There was metal rebar that would go in. There was other things that would go in the foundation. They would pour the foundation. And then oftentimes they would lay a wider block on the bottom. Then they would put a smaller block because they were going to put brick veneer up the side. Different bricks, different blocks, ones on the bottom, different types of uh, construction. And that's exactly how God is building his church. You've got different gifts. You've got different abilities. And what the Apostle Paul says is he's using each one of us and our distinctiveness in order to build a holy temple of God for his spirit to dwell and to use for his glory. Amen? So you have a gift. You have a place. You have a purpose. And it's not just like here in this local church. It's out there in the kingdom too. When I think about Brother Mike Temple, I think about the grace that God has given to him. One of the things that Mike has done since he was a young boy is be up and play the saxophone. God has given him a gift in order to worship, in order to lead worship. And we see that evident as they have led here. That he's given Sister Autumn a prophetic voice in prayer, I believe. But one of the things I began to notice is I would sit there, and many of you remember Brother Mike, and he would stand here. And what happens oftentimes when the Spirit of the Lord begins to move upon him? The Spirit of the Lord begins to move upon him, and he begins to get emotional, doesn't he? He begins to, to cry over what's going on, and then he begins to speak out, and he talks about those who have challenges, those who are in difficult spots, those who you've come today, and you're bearing a heavy burden. And God has actually led his family through some of those things where he's had to bear heavy burdens himself. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I said, Mike, you're a great worshiper. Mike, you're able to lead people by singing and by playing the saxophone. And people re respond to that. But I think you got a different call. I think there's something different resident in you, brother Mike. I think there is a pastoral gift that's coming out. And he's saying, that's my brothers. That's my brothers. My brother's a pastor here. And Jay is the one who does discipleship and another uh, brother in ministry over here, and that's not me. I, I, I'm, I'm here to do this, and I'm thinking, I don't think so, Mike. And the Lord gave me a word for him a few weeks ago. He was like David, the one who had been passed over. Oh, it's got to be this one. It's got to be that one. It's got to be that one. It's got to be that one. And God says, no, no, not that they don't have their specific calling, but for what God's calling him to do, only he can do. And that's why I think this door opened up for him out at Nortonsville, is to affirm the work of God. And we could say, oh, Mike, that's a different church. You shouldn't go to a different church. Or we can be about the kingdom. We can be about building the kingdom. Because what I do hope, what I hope is that there are more sent out. There's some of you here who I wish I could call your names right now and say, I'm hoping that God moves upon you in such a way that you realize the calling that God has upon your life, that you realize that there's something resident within you that God is saying it's not just to sit there and to think about it, it's there to do something with, that God is going to use you in a way if you're willing to take a step of faith. And at some point, you've got to take a step of faith.
You've got to understand that God is using you for a foundation or God is using you for a block or God is using you for a brick or God is using you for a stick of lumber. God's building his house and he wants you to be a part of it. What is your role? What is your calling? What is your gifting? Take a breath with me. Did it, did it come in and out? All right. God's got a plan for you. We're not planning your funeral right now. We're not bringing your casket in right now. Your feet aren't going in ahead of you. You're, you're here for a purpose, no matter your age. We talk a lot here at this church about young people, and I believe that God is going to call us to see young people transformed by the gospel and mighty in Christ Jesus. There's some things that I want to see happen with our young people, but I also want to tell you, you're 60, you're 70, you're 80, you're 90. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's got a calling. He wants you to be built together for for his kingdom. He's putting it together for his glory. We're not going to forget the old people because we remember it's, uh, that's not politically correct. Elderly, well, I don't know what we call them now. But people who are older in age. We're not going to forget the aged. Sorry. <laughs> Seniors, thank you. <laughs> the Bible says my young men and on my old men will pour out God's spirit. Sons and daughters are gonna prophesy. See we we're coming it's a little off time. We're coming to this weekend. We're coming to the fifth, you know. I consider myself a pretty reserved person, all right? But I'll tell you, I'll share it with a couple of people. God is expanding my horizons a little bit here, and it's uncomfortable for me. I want you to be clear. It's uncomfortable for me. But I'm trying to follow the grace and power of the Lord. I'm trying to say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to get off track, but I want to be focused. I want to be focused on what you're calling us to do. And I know, imagine, imagine, it's probably a little more people here than what were in the upper room on that day when the Holy Spirit fell. Jesus didn't say to that upper room, those in the upper room, he didn't say to them, now, wait in Jerusalem, okay? And when you wait, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be the sound that you're going to hear. It's going to kind of sound like wind. I want you to be aware of that so that it doesn't startle you when it begins to happen. And what you'll begin to see, you're going to kind of begin to see these tongues come out. It'll be almost like a vision. It'll be, it'll be like fire, fire tongues. They're going to come and they're going to split and they're going to rest on all of you that are there. And then you're going to begin to speak in languages that you haven't learned yet. You're going to talk in languages that haven't happened yet. That's, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be people on the outside who don't know anything about what's going on. They're going to hear what you're saying. And when they hear it, you're actually going to be speaking their languages that you don't know, declaring how wonderful and powerful God is. And they're actually going to think you're drunk. Jesus didn't explain any of that. He just said, Wait until the power comes. 
So what we have to experience as we come together, we pray from 9 to 10. We, we pray as part of our worship. We pray at the end of service. And a lot of times our prayer is, God, send a revival. God, send, send uh, your Holy Spirit. God, move in our city. God, move in our hearts. God, give us more. Do you think that we're going to understand every little aspect of everything that's going to happen? It's going to be biblical. We're going to follow along with the Scriptures. We're going to say what the Scriptures say. But I tell you, if what happened in the Bible happens here, I think all of our minds would be blown. So it might be a little different. And we're going to have to be comfortable with that. We're going to be, have to be comfortable with things not quite registering with our mind at first sight. And then we pray and ask God for wisdom. God, is this from you? And God affirms his work by the power of his spirit because God wants to transform lives. He wants to change people. He wants to see marriages restored. He wants to see people free from bondages and addictions. I'm tired, you know, I, uh, I'm tired of being a pastor and not seeing freedom. You see it now and then. Sometimes. I want to see freedom. I want to see God setting the captives free. And we're going to see it because we're praying for it. But we got to stay in unity. That's what Paul's saying to his church in Ephesians. Don't lose your first love. Don't, don't, don't lose the fire. Don't, don't lose the power of revival that's moving in you, Ephesian church. Don't, don't lose that. Don't, don't walk away from that. Don't move away from that. But stay unified. Stay in one accord. Stay in one purpose. Stay focused. Know that Christ has broken down any wall of enmity. Know that Christ is using each and every one of you as a block or as a stick of wood or as a nail or something in his kingdom. And some gifts are going to be different than other gifts. And God's going to use each and every one of him to his praise and to his glory. I believe that is what God is calling us to do. So as we come on August the 5th, as we're praying and we're fasting and we're seeking God over this next few days for this coming Friday, we're going to pray that God does what we're asking him to do. That God moves in such a way that we see those transformed lives because that's one transformed life that now gives glory to God and God is enthroned in those praises. So that's what we're longing after and what we're seeking him for. So stand with me as we pray and as we uh, intercede for God's grace to be at work.